to the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. Today's guest is master storyteller, Jeannie Haynes. She's brought part one of her new piece called A House Underwater. Welcome, Jeannie Haynes, to the Poet to Poet series. Thank you, Nina. <laughs> what if we begin with you reading us this wonderful story? Thank you. You will now hear Jeannie Haynes reading her original story, A House Underwater. February. Yuck. Drizzly, dark, dreary. And when the alarm clock went off that morning back in 2009, I thought, ah, this is the kind of day to stay in bed and savor a bad mood. Besides, I hadn't slept very well after a loud racket awakened me really early in the morning. I figured it must have been the garbage men and snuggled deeper under the covers until my 60-pound labradoodle dog jumped up to greet me. Whoa! Good morning, Fancy. Okay, okay. I'll let you outside. But remember, go around to the bark area. No peeing on the grass. <sighs> I yawn, opening the back door and then see... Oh, my gosh. This huge opening directly out to the street, my gate is gone. And a huge chunk of my tall redwood fence is splintered all over the lawn. A car rushes past. I grab my dog. Stay, Fancy. I shut the door. Go to the front door. There's a note on the mailbox from the police. Sorry, we had to break down your fence searching for a robbery suspect. Call this number to arrange for replacement cost. <laughs> I live in East Oakland. A few years ago, I chose to live here. What was I thinking? I'm just two blocks from San Leandro, but still this is East Oakland. And a robber is loose in my neighborhood. Young punk probably on drugs. Ooh, that sounds prejudicial. But I'm afraid it's a sorry, probable statistic. And me? Prejudiced? I mean, who am I going to call to fix this mess? My general contractor, John Nathan Haynes, Jr., my stepson, my African-American stepson. Ah, location, location, location. And timing, timing, timing. For 25 years, I was a happy homeowner in the Oakland Hills. Married, two children, gorgeous kids, William and Allie, a golden retriever, and two cats. It was a fabulous house. Five levels anchored into a hillside on a quiet half-circle street called Selkirk. Then my kids grew up as they do, moved out. I found myself divorced, single, in my fifties and ready for a change. The timing, they said, was perfect. 
Pundits proclaimed housing prices have peaked, but the stock market is still climbing. The bull is on fire. Sell now. Put those profits in the market. Watch your nest egg grow and then live securely, happily ever after. And then I thought, well, I could also give up my public relations business and pursue what I've always wanted to do, storytelling. After the sale, I took one last turn around the house. Goodbye, Selkirk. I'll miss you. A lot. Thank you for your years of shelter and now for affording me the opportunity of a new life. Next, I rented a small Victorian house in Alameda. And shortly after, my son William and his dear fiancée Gwen rented the little cottage behind me. We planted a large garden between us, dahlias, daisies, roses. Life was good and with a blissful sense of financial security. A few years flew by, but then the economy did this complete reversal. I swear I could feel the earth move under my feet the stock market decline, plunk, taking with it a sizable chunk of my savings, while housing prices soared, and Selkirk, my home in the hills, now long gone, tripled in value. Meanwhile, my Alameda landlord says, time to raise the rent. On the same day, here comes my son, running through the garden, waving a letter. Mom! Mom! I just got accepted to Northeastern University! Mwah! He kisses the letter. Yeah, baby, gonna get my master's degree. Gwen and I are moving to Boston. Oh, congratulations, honey. That's wonderful. But gee, now there will be strangers in the cottage? Mom. It's time for you to buy another house. Me? Oh, you must be joking. What bank is going to sign a mortgage with a woman in her 60s? A single woman. A storyteller. Mom, this is 2004. Mortgages are practically being given away. But houses were not. You couldn't find a two-bedroom in the East Bay under 400000 I should know I looked at 36 of them. First, a spiffed-up little place staged with Ikea furniture, flowers on the table, two doors down from East 14th Street, $420,000. Once I got excited about a place in El Cerrito. Oh, that's a nice little town, and the ad says it's across from a park. Turned out to be a trailer park. My favorite absurdity was the, quote, view home. Oh, I thought, back to the hills. But it was in the flats, hunkered onto a cliff street directly overlooking the 580 freeway. Zing, zing, zing. I was getting pretty discouraged until I got a call from my stepson, John Jr. Mom. I think I've found the house for you. It's a fixer-upper in East Oakland, but it's just two blocks from San Leandro. And listen to this description. Cozy, California craftsman bungalow built in 1924. You like that kind of old-fashioned stuff. Check it out. Let a mortgage guy run some numbers for you. 
after a brief look, wasn't bad, I met with the mortgage rep who handed me a tall stack of papers. It had been years since I'd looked at a loan document. And this one was ten times larger and way more complicated. I ask a lot of questions as I page through legal jargon after jargon and these figures that he had plunged in. One number jumped out. Oh, you put down this figure for my annual income? I never made that kind of money in one year in my whole life. Don't worry about it. It's just a number. It works. Banks won't check it out. They're swamped with loan requests. Besides, you're good. You're putting 20% down. Most people are getting in for no upfront costs. And hey, for just a few dollars more, I could get you another $35,000, $40,000 to invest in even more real estate. I went to look at the house one more time. It was a serious fixer-upper. But under its years of neglect, I could see the charm and the land. A good-sized corner lot, mostly buried under morning glories gone wild. Hmm, could that be a plum tree? My children, William and Allie, blanched when they saw it. But John Jr., a master general contractor, assured me, it's all fixable. He cut away a corner of decaying carpet. Oh, look, hardwood floors and a fireplace. But it's all boarded up. That can be fixed. The cabinets and the appliances are pretty nasty, John. Buy new ones. Kitchen is really dark. A skylight will fix that. Hmm, I guess... Come look out back with me. I'm intrigued by this large shed buried under morning glories. I counted 48 windows. Half of them are broke. But, oh, John, I, I can envision this as a playhouse for my future grandbabies. I went back to see the mortgage guy. So, let me get this straight. 5% interest only for five years, right? Well, sounds good. And then I pay an adjustable interest rate based on the LIBOR index, whatever that is, and eventually start paying down the principal, of course. <laughs> what happens at the end of five years if I can't afford this as yet unknown revised monthly mortgage? Don't worry about it. This is California. By then, your house will undoubtedly have doubled in value. Then, you could refinance or get a reversible mortgage or sell it for a handsome profit. I signed the mortgage and initialed all of its many, many, many papers. The next day, 7 a.m. sharp, John and his crew went to work and I began hemorrhaging fixer-upper monies and driving every day back and forth from dawn to dark from Alameda to East Oakland and back and forth. At one point, I caught sight of myself in the mirror. I hadn't been taking time to color my hair. Good heavens, I look awful. So, I cut my hair really short. 
No more. Jeannie with the light brown hair. Now it's all over silver. On July 31st, 2004, with my new silver hairdo and my dog, I moved into my fixer-upper home in East Oakland. On my block, for as far as I could see, I was one of only two and a half people of my color. That didn't bother me too much. I mean, I'd married into an African-American family years ago, and my children are biracial. But I wondered, how might the neighbors feel about me? So I took time to introduce myself and my dog. Clarissa said, Now, honey, later on, I want you to meet my teenage son, Henry. He's very tall and very dark, and I don't want you being scared when you see him, especially coming home some night. Glad you got that dog for protection. That big black dog. (laughs) My property then was the one eyesore on the block. And I loved watching my neighbor's reaction as the exterior was painted a cheery blue, morning glories tamed, weeds vanquished, and sprinklers on the lawn. From across the street, Sam repeated often, It's a metamorphosis, Miss Haynes. It's one hell of a metamorphosis. Good to have you here with us. In early December, Anselmo's family began their Christmas decorating. Never mind that it was pouring rain. Children and grandchildren gleefully stuck large plastic poinsettias all around the yard and hung enormous baubles on their one small tree. Next came some nodding reindeer, an inflatable snowman, sheep, shepherds, and wise men. And then lovingly, reverently, they placed Mary and Joseph with a spotlight on baby Jesus. I thought that was it. But the next day, an oversized Santa Claus was strapped to the chimney and plugged in so he could wave his hand throughout the season. Well, it wasn't my taste, and it was beautiful. Feliz Navidad. In August, our street is closed off for the annual police night out block party. Children ride bicycles up and down and barbecues and card tables come out front. And oh, the smell of ribs and jambalaya. The Vietnamese and the Muslim families offer delicious food that I haven't yet learned how to pronounce properly. Under their billowing gay flag, our vegetarian lesbian couple offer sautéed tofu and chard. And tell you, now that's dinosaur chard. Grown in our own backyard. We're an unusual assortment. I mean, this is Oakland. Of ages, colors, and cultures, and languages. But we're a neighborhood. People look out for one another. If you forget to move your car in a street-cleaning morning, expect a wake-up call. And, hey, Jeannie, I'm going for a walk. Want me to take Fancy along? Oh, Miss Haynes, thank you so much for those delicious plums. I'll bring you the jam I made. You sure did bring those trees back to life. In 2008, things began to change. Anselmo's Christmas house was the first to go. At his yard sale, he told me, I own nothing now. I've lost 
everything. His eldest son said Papa just didn't understand that adjustable mortgage, and his monthly bill more than doubled. Across the street, Wilma was pulling out her hair. Well, I had to move in my sister. I mean, she lost her job and her home, and in that darn bank, they sold her house for a price so low with a mortgage that she could have afforded. I talked to a realtor friend about this, and he explained, "Oh yeah, that's the real problem. Banks foreclose, sell for less, and the value of all the surrounding houses drop. I'm barely making a living right now." My wife was going to retire next year. Ha!、Huh. I had to sit down when he told me the current value of my home. You must be joking. That's half of what I owe. Yep, you've got what we call a house under water. When the alarm clock rang that February morning in 2009, I was nursing a triple whammy. Over the past several months, I'd experienced major reduction in employment opportunities. My stock values had seriously declined, and now my house was underwater. And there I was, in this quandary. Even if I could sell it, I'd still owe the bank. Should I just walk away as so many people are doing now? Oh, good heavens! And lose all I put into it. My five-year fixed mortgage changes in just six months, and bumps up to some unknown adjustable rate. With dwindling income and savings, am I going to be able to pay my monthly payments? Will I be foreclosed? Will I too lose my home? I turned to my dog. Oh, fancy! What am I to do? And now this this physical assault on the property with fence all torn down. Well, I'm in no shape to do what I planned for the day. We're going to just take it easy. I'll try out that new recipe for lemon infused roasted chicken and bake some banana bread. Get the house all warm and smelling good. And music. That's what we need. I know. I'll go through some old CDs I've been wanting to listen to. Miles Davis, some kind of blue. Hmm. Too sad. The Gypsy Kings. No. Too lively. Madam Butterfly. No. Sinatra. No. No. Wait a minute. Simon and Garfunkel's "Bridge Over Troubled Waters" is that perfect? Sing it, boys. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm just going to peel these bananas and then mash them up real good and think about that rotten young punk. I hope they catch him and put him away for a long, long time. I'm on your side when friends just can't be found. Love.
lousy, no-good young so-and-so. I bet his friends are all bums just like him. Ah, oh, fancy. Smell that chicken. Yeah, 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 you'll get some. And then I began to listen to the lyrics that I've forgotten. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard. Is that where he lives? Are the streets his home? How desperate must a man be to commit robbery? Risk going to jail. Is that where he'll sleep tonight? When darkness comes and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me modifications they're talking about. And that'll be my bridge over troubled waters. You just heard Jeannie Haynes reading her original story, House Underwater, Part 1. Jeannie is a master storyteller and a fine writer, as you've just heard, and a magnificent reader, as you've just heard. (laughs) Jeannie, that was a beautiful and deeply moving story because it's happening all around us. Absolutely. So, are you still in that house? Yes, I am still in that house. And During these past three and a half years, while I've been going through a mortgage modification, unbelievable, every once in a while I'd swear, I'm going to do a piece on this. And so this is the first part. And you've already performed this part as a live one-woman theater, yes? Yes. And now you're working on part two? Yes. Much more complicated. It was interesting in doing this, I, I realized I first had to do this part because it's the back story. But the rest, there's so many numbers and so much complexity. And since I've done it, people are sending me all sorts of other background material. You know, reports from Congress on, on the atrocities of these 
things that had been happening and somebody sent me a book on it and another one sent me, oh, you have to listen to this radio interview. So I'm being inundated with all this extraordinary information on this phenomenon that's happened to so many of us. So many of us. It's it's all around us. It's in my family for sure. We've had Is that to, right? Yeah, oh. we've all had to rally around the person that was being threatened with drowning basically with the house underwater problems yeah yeah so you have taken this problem and made it into an art form while combating it and fighting it and i'm sure that was a daily thing of phone calls and paperwork to fill out hours i have uh, i just went through some more because the paper said i have literally five three ring binders that are over a foot tall uh, my notes, and I even went through them the other day and purged all the um, duplications. And just the number of people that I talk to. Well, I, I have I have to stop because I start getting into and then and then and then. <laughs> you know what happened? But also in doing this piece, I realized how much it was not just my story and not just a universal story. I mean, this is happening around the world as well. But being particularly aware of how it affected people in my neighborhood. As one young man said to me, well, at least you know how a system works. You know what to say. You know how to write combating reports. I know in in teaching my class in storytelling for adults, one lovely woman, she was going through it and we were kind of exchanging horror stories. And then one day she said, I just can't do this anymore. She moved back with her two children to her mother's place somewhere back east. I, I mean, those stories are just, they're, they're really awful. It's really an amazing story. Well, we're looking forward to hearing part two, and is there a part three forthcoming? I don't know. I'm going to try to get it into one part and just go through all of the details and get it down to the to its essence to to tell this story because I, I, I do believe it needs to be told well you've done a wonderful job this has been nina serrano and my guest today has been master storyteller Jeannie haynes
has been Nina Zerano with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening. is in the process of revising its bylaws, the rules under which the organization must be operated. The Foundation is considering seven bylaws amendments concerning in-person meetings of the board, the election of station representative directors, proportional reduction in size of the national board, and other amendments. To read the proposed changes, you can visit Pacifica.org. The national board will vote on July 17th. The five local station boards will vote within 60 days of that date. To be approved, each proposal must receive a majority vote of the Pacifica National Board and of three of the five stations boards. Again, for more information, including the language of the amendments, you can visit Pacifica.org. And you're listening to 